Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalong. FM 104. Here on Room 104. Now, have you ever gotten away with uh, stealing anything? We're getting into that shopping season where I know we've been talking about a lot of, um, you know, retail thefts and shoplifting that's gone on. But have you ever stolen it and have you ever gotten away with it? But how do you go about stealing two million worth of jewellery and the con pretending that you are a fake prince? Well, someone joined us on the line who did that, had a movie based off their experiences as well. Joining us on the line to tell about this insane story. Saqib Muntasser, how are you? Hi guys, I'm fine, thank you. This is probably the most surreal, fascinating, made-up sounding story I've ever heard in my life. Can you just take us back um, to kind of probably before you got into all of this? Where were you at? Right, well, um, I left the secondary school, started uh, college, first year of college, and it just, you know, you're a teenager, you're finding your way around and uh, we stumbled upon it, to be honest with you. There's a couple of friends that we hung out and um, started off overseas student. We just basically we stole his identity by making a fake NUS card and uh, a bus pass. And in them days, we're talking this is obviously pre-internet, late to early 90s. It started off from that. That was the first time I actually ever did anything wrong. That was the beginning. And then obviously after that then, you became, I suppose, a, a, for want of a better word, a successful credit card fraudster. Is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, well, it's a progression, you know. Yeah. It's a progression that, you know, leads you on to bigger things, learning your way around the system in, in them days, and um, which led us on to uh, committing credit card fraud of vast amounts over the years that um, led us on to the heist, which was done in 1997. There was a store in America, Beverly Hills, a very exclusive store where you couldn't even walk in. You had to have mm. a pre-appointment. And in, in our research, because like I said, there was no internet, in our thorough research that we did, I'd stumbled upon the, the Sultan of Brunei. I uh, thought, well, OK, let's build on this. We had certain amount of details and I had a girl on the inside who could give us a certain amount of information. So it's like a jigsaw. It took a while because you had to get different credit cards for different things. You know, we were talking hiring limousines, to chauffeurs, to bodyguards, to even the little minute details of having flowers. Uh, the executives land, uh, landed in uh, Luton in the Learjet, the thrill of it, you know, it's hard to describe. I was just going to ask, obviously, up until that point when you probably felt you were getting away with it, 
you kept doing more and more. But was there ever a point that you did get caught or people were kind of watching you a little bit closely? Yeah, yeah, over, over the years. Yeah, of course, um, one of my co-defendants, he, he got caught abroad. Luckily for me, I was on the trip. They got uh, caught up in uh, Holland. It's a bit of cat and mouse. I mean, I remember being on the phone to American Express one time. They were asking me so many questions, and I think I was using a, an Arab accent. Um, and I said, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why are you asking me so many questions? And she actually basically said back to me that there's been fraud committed, and it's from being from the UK, and she was actually talking about us at the time. The thing is, when they ask you certain amount of questions, it gets to a stage where when you've got so much information that they're going to have to authorise it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, we did have some close saves. There was one, one episode where we were in um, France walked into the shops with the credit card because then, you know, you'd have ID and whichever. Most of it was done over the phone. So we very rarely tried to show our faces. And uh, I remember one time, uh, it was actually Mr. Al Fayed, who's the, the ex-owner of Harrods. Mm. Um, and it was his then wife, and they was highly fired, but we wasn't aware. Well, it was a, a lady's card, so we've gone in. I had a friend who looked older than me, and he looked he looked more mature. We were trying to withdraw uh, something like 20,000 francs at that time. I remember the manager and his aide um, looking at us, and I'm thinking, you know, he, he's giving us this look, and you could tell there was something wrong. And yeah. uh, I said, you know, I said, what is the issue? Sorry, sir, but this card is it's a lady's card. And, uh, and I turned around, and this is what you call thinking on the spot. I turned around and said, don't you understand? In our Islamic law, we don't let our women come in to withdraw. And he's like, oh, so, oh so, we're so sorry, sir. We're so sorry. Here's oh, the money and walked out. And it was like, oh, my God. Near to getting caught, but getting away with it. And then eventually, obviously, the heist itself, getting caught and then dealing with the situation and dealing with the time. Yeah, I, I can imagine it definitely was. So, again, take us through it, I suppose, a, a, a little bit, because you, the plan was to steal millions of dollars worth of jewellery from that shop you mentioned over in in, uh, in Beverly Hills by pretending to be who is it, the Sultan or the Prince of, of Brunei and, and pulling all of that off. And I believe you, you uh, how, how did you set up the... How was, the, how was it meant to work? How it was planned was through the weeks of going back and forth and talking to them, we thought, right, OK, we need to get them in the country yeah, where we was because we weren't willing to travel abroad and, and say, say we, if you used to get caught abroad, you know, it could be even severe. So we were thinking, right, OK, get them back to the UK. And to do that, you have to be extravagant. You know, if the Prince of Brunei is going to buy some jewellery and he's going to fly over... The thing is, when you've got money... You know, you never talk how much is something. You just say, I want this and I want, you know, whichever. And obviously from our side, because we wanted, let's say it's a shortcut, because looking back, if I would have just did what any other normal person does, which is study hard, get a good job and go from there. You know, we took a shortcut. To be honest with you, looking back, I've got kids now. I do regret it's affected me. I find it hard to say, oh, you can't do it by yourself. You have a team. And what happens in, in a team, someone will crack, you know. And uh, what happened is one of my co-defendants, he was caught basically red-handed because he had surveillance on it because he bought a phone, uh, which was at Woolworths, which was local to me. When I sent him, sent him out to get a phone, he'd, he'd become lazy. He ended up going in Woolworths. So they kept their surveillance for an extra couple of months, which was a link because the phone that was used to, to ring the prince, to ring the jewellery shop, the police had a link that, well, OK, this phone was bought in Manchester, and they had a full idea of this chap. So that's how they decided to follow us. But I knew 
at the time that because it's such a big scale that somewhere down the line what you got to be is you're paranoid you have to be paranoid you're always looking over your back you know and so the fact it follows when they thought right they were ready they raided about 15 houses in Chitano Manchester is where I'm from raided his house and he had a piece of jewellery and there was a, a big newspaper article, I think it was entitled, I think the title was The Sultan of Sting at the time, and it, it, the caption was one of the biggest heists of all time. I think it came in number seven, and at that time, no one knew you know, who did it. So um, he had that paper cutting on his wall. Him and the prince, he, he was caught because he's the one who fronted it, so he was caught. But while they were on remand, tried to get messages to him to look, if you take the, the rap, you will be compensated, but as I've said before many times, you just don't know how people react to the shit hits the fan when you're in prison and you've got, you know, looking, you're locked up and that's when you know the ones who can do the time for the crime. So you, it obviously ended in in a bit of a disaster. You, you'd flown the, the jewellers over to set up a fake meeting with the fake Prince of Brunei and they had they you'd actually gotten your hands on the jewellery. How much how much was the jewellery worth and like what kind of stuff was it? We wasn't found with the jewellery, you know. I mean apparently in the depositions in the court papers they said they had surveillance of me passing a bag to someone. Uh, but at the time they didn't, you know, arrest us and that bag disappeared and it's never been seen ever again. The jewellery is five million to two point five million and it's because when they landed I I asked them not to declare what they had because my thinking was at the time if it came down to we got caught and got to prove what they had, they, they wouldn't. And yeah. the, the way I blagged them over that was to say, Look, we don't want you to declare the jewellery because we don't want to pay tax on it. So it's always disputed. The court papers, I think, said 2.5, but there's other there's other rumours it was more. It's an insane story altogether, but did you go to jail? Yes, I did. I went to jail, and that's when I realised, wow. Because I think when you're doing something like that, you got to remember where, where I was from. You know, there's quite a bit of crime, but what we were doing, in, in our eyes, is a white-collar crime. You know, we wasn't physically hating someone, but obviously it was a crime, and you have to pay for your crime. So what, what are you doing with yourself these days? Yeah, I work in security, uh, looking after sites and uh, stuff. A job and, you know um, inside out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 pretty much. And I tried to do uh, some mentoring when I can with schools, uh, trying trying to go in schools and talk about my past life and how you shouldn't really go down that road. And and just again to to, to wrap up, you're saying that uh, alleged bag with the millions of euro or pounds worth of jewellery in it has never been found. To this day, has never been found. Would you believe? There we go. Well, listen, uh, it's a fascinating story, and as you mentioned, you once again don't recommend anyone listening goes and and leads a life and that you did because you wound up in in jail for more than a year and you know it's had a significant you know impact on your life uh, your movie people can go and watch i'm sure you can find it somewhere um online but uh, well, Saqib, thanks a million for popping on and giving up your time with us today thank you very much